Good morning, friends. Good to be with everybody this morning. A little upset that the choir stole my thunder this morning. I had a rejoice chorus planned solo. Guess I won't do that now. Um, <laughs> thank you guys. Awesome. Incredible. Incredible song. Incredible word. Rejoice. This morning we want to do that together. Uh, I want to share with you some thoughts from Scripture in terms of rejoice and what Jesus rejoiced for. And then we want to spend some time together, kind of the second half of our morning, just in, in prayer and in praise. We have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to rejoice over, especially here at West Bowles. And so we're going to shake it up a little bit and, uh, and, and do things a little differently so we have some more time at the end to rejoice together. Uh, my name is Thomas, one of the pastors here. Great to have you this morning. Welcome to West Bowles, especially if it's your first time with us, maybe first time in a long time. Uh, we're excited about what God is doing in this place, anxious to share some of that with you this morning. Uh, just a little note uh, to those who have been with us, maybe those who haven't been with us. We're doing something called The Power of One. It's a campaign. Basically, we can put our faith into action and, uh, and show this community how much we love them. So each week, we're given a dollar as we walk out. We take all the dollars that we collect every week and give it to a family in need on Monday afternoon. Last week, we gave it to a family, fell on some hard times, a couple of part-time jobs. Uh, it's hard to make ends meet, you know, when you're just putting things together like that. Living with family, which is fun for a day. And then uh, just trying to help them, again, help them get back on their feet. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to spend the dollars that we get. It's about $500 a week. And we're going to give it to our ministry called Pattern After Jesus. Speaking of Good Friday and or Black Friday, whatever you call it, um, this, this ministry can buy thousands and thousands of dollars worth of blankets that they will then throughout the course of the year turn into really, really nice blankets for women's shelters here in the Littleton area. And so we're going to give them a thousand bucks and say, on Friday, buy as much fabric as you possibly can to bless as many women as you can throughout the course of the year. So that'll be exciting uh, for us to do that. Starting in December, we're going to have a, maybe a resource table out here for you. When it comes to the reserve one, it's our challenge to take an hour a week and just disconnect from the world and connect with the Lord. And some of us are probably struggling how to do that. I run out of ideas and I, I stumble through kind of the creative process of what that even looks like. So we'll have a resource table, especially for families. We found some great resources, 20-minute activities you can do as a family together, object lessons with the spiritual truth buried in them. And I think it'll be a powerful expression, a way for you to spend some time together as a family uh, in the Word. So that'll be starting in December. We just want to help you as best we can. And then speaking of December, invite one. Man, we're excited for our Christmas season, Christmas series, Christmas Eve. We're going to have a great time uh, in December. And I can't wait. They tell me this place gets decked out and goes all out for Christmas, which I'm not upset about at all. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll do Christmas together and spend some time. Bring somebody along with you if you can. Let me pray for us in our time together in the Word, and we'll jump into it. God, thank you for this place, for these people, for all who have assembled here. Thanks for getting us up this morning, and thanks for putting it on our heart to be here. We could be a thousand different places, but for some reason, we're here. And so would you make the most of this moment, Father? Would you speak to each one of us? More than that, would you empower us with your spirit, with your life? with your passion, with your love, would we be changed this morning as a result of the things that we see and hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna talk about gratitude this morning and gratuity is spelled very similarly. So I thought, let me, let me share with you the best tippers from Hollywood and the worst tippers from Hollywood. We spent the last seven years in Malibu and you'd run into an occasional movie star or celeb at a restaurant. And I always wondered, how much do they tip? Well, here's the folks who tip the best. Here's the folks who tip the worst. If these five walk into your restaurant, don't get too terribly excited. The first is Madonna. Yeah, nothing there. Tiger Woods, bad tipper. Usher, yep, same thing. Britney Spears, well, she's not good at anything, so it wouldn't surprise us. 
I'm sorry, Brittany. We love you in Jesus' name. And this guy's the worst. He walks in, Jeremy Piven, don't get excited at all. In fact, he had two $10,000 bills at different restaurants at different times, left a fat zero both times. That'd be tough. But here, if these folks walk in, get excited. Russell Crowe, he's one of the best tippers out there. Drew Carey, he can make you laugh and fill up your wallet at the same time. Hulk Hogan, interesting combo. I'd never be really excited to see him. But if he came in my restaurant, I would be. David Beckham, soccer star. And if this guy walks in right here, Johnny Depp, be very, very excited. He left a $4,000 tip one time for a guy just because he liked him. So it surprises us sometimes who from Hollywood expresses gratitude and shows appreciation. But it should not surprise us that the one from heaven always did. Hollywood, yeah, give or take 50-50. But the one from heaven always showed appreciation and gratitude. He said, thank you a lot. And now that doesn't surprise us probably, but what I want to share with you is the three settings in which he did say thank you, because that might actually come as a surprise to you. And I want to study the moments when Jesus said thank you, when the red letter words literally say thank you, because I think if we understand when he said it, it will change how and when we say it. As individuals this week, but also I think as a church, especially as we look back on this last year and all that's happened in this place. So let's look at where Jesus said thank you. Three separate occasions we read those words from the mouth of Christ. The first is when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. The second is before he's about to enjoy several meals. And the third is when he sees astonishing and also rather pathetic expressions of faith. Let's look at each one real fast together. John 11 is the first. This is how the story goes. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, or she was the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. For my brother has been dead and in this tomb four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus, he looked up and he said, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out with his hands and feet still wrapped in strips of linen, cloth around his face. And so Jesus said to them, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Now I can't make complete sense of this text. It's a little odd. God, thank you that you can hear me, but I always know you can hear me. I'm saying this so everybody else can hear me. Yeah, don't ask me to get real deep here. But it seems as if in this statement, the first time we hear Jesus say thank you, he's thanking God for his promises. He's thanking God for being the type of God that God is. He's saying, God, I'm thankful that you are a father above and beyond everything else. And that as such, you want to listen to your children. And not just their words or their pleas or their requests, but also their hearts. Thank you that you're a God who is our Father. And thank you that as the Father, you sent your Son to help all the other kids find their way. Thank you for having your Son go through hell so everybody else could experience heaven. Thank you for sending the light into the darkness to illuminate the way. Thank you that what you're about to do for Lazarus, you're about to do for everybody else in this whole world. See, I think this is a thank you for God's promises. Jesus is about to do something miraculous. He's about to raise a man from the dead, one of the single greatest miracles in all of human history. And in that moment, the words out of his mouth are, thank you. Thanks for being a God who cares, a God who's in complete control, 
and a God who always sticks to his promises. Don't believe me? Lazarus, get out here. It seems that this is a prayer of thanks for his promises. And some of us need to cling to those promises this morning, don't we? Some of us are in a place where we're not sure what's going on or where we're going or where we've been or why we've been there or what could possibly come out of this, if anything good could come out of this place, and I think we need to cling to the promises. Like Jesus, we need to thank God for who he is, for what he's promised to do for us. So maybe this week you need to spend some time in the promises, the promise of God that you were made for a purpose, the promise that God has a plan for you, a promise to make you prosper, give you hope, a promise to forgive you of all your past, to give you a present glory and a present victory and a present purpose and also an eternal glory and victory. I don't know what promise it is that you need this week, but, but I hope that you're thankful for his promises and that one promise will really stick out for you. The second place where Jesus says thank you is like any good Christian before he has a meal. I love this about Jesus. He's either at a party eating a meal, leaving a party having just eaten a meal, or on his way to a party about to eat a meal. This is a man after my own heart. <laughs> at the party, going to the party, or just leaving the party. And he's eating. He's eating all the time. But what I love about the moments when he's eating is he always gives thanks in those settings. There's always a moment where it says he stops and gives thanks. Twelve times Jesus has a thanksgiving prayer. Ten of those revolve around a meal. In fact, the only prayer in all four Gospels that's recorded for us is the thanksgiving prayer before the feeding of the 5,000. It seems as if there's something around meals, something important about meals, something about breaking bread and sharing food together where Jesus says that is the perfect moment to stop and give thanks. Now many of us probably give thanks before meals. We probably think they're routine, empty, dull, humdrum type of prayers. Right after a while, it's like, is this just a token gesture? Does this mean anything? No, a, a mealtime prayer can be profound, but it can also be pathetic. Check out this example. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. I also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus, we just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just wanna say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. Now that, that's a pathetic example of a mealtime prayer. But Jesus gives us a profound example. He prays before four of the most significant meals in human history. There's the feeding of the 5,000, 
the feeding of the 4,000, the Last Supper, and the meal he shares with the two guys that he meets on the road to Emmaus. In each of these settings, a meal is shared. They are sitting together at the table, and Jesus, it says, stops, breaks bread, and gives thanks. So in addition to thanking God for the promises, it looks as if Jesus constantly thanked God for his provision. That's what you you do before a meal. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus said in these prayers, And and the fact that we don't read anything suggests he prayed a very common Jewish prayer during these settings. If he said something else, we might have that recorded for us. But because it just says he stopped and gave thanks, he probably gave thanks like most other Jews would with a prayer like this. Blessed be you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who has caused this bread to come forth out of the earth. Amen. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? It's not many words. It's not rather elaborate or really exciting. It's very simple, really plain, rather basic. But maybe that's the point. Maybe Jesus said, you don't have to say a whole lot to say a whole lot. Because Jesus could have asked for so much more. He could have said, hey, send honey cakes from the heavens, Lord. Have food grow right out of the ground right here in front of me. I need more faith, more people, more resources. He could have prayed for any number of things. He didn't pray for more. He prayed for what he had. He always thanked God for what he had had. I love that. It's an amazing prayer, right? There are thousands of hungry people around him. Moments that will forever change history. We're talking about limited resources and seemingly unsolvable problems. And Jesus says, thanks, God. Thanks for this little piece of bread that I have right here in front of me. It's if in these moments, Jesus is saying, whatever you give me and whenever you give it to me, God, it's enough. It'll always be enough. It might not look like enough or feel like enough or be as much as so-and-so has or what the coolest model of it is, but what I have right now, it's enough. It's a thank you, God, for this, not a God, I want that. Or if you knew this, God, if I had those, then I would be happy. It's a thank you, God, for this. It's a huge shift in focus from what we think we need, what we think will make us happy, to an appreciation for what we have. This shift in focus really hit home. I stumbled across this reading entitled, I'm Thankful. For. Listen to the words of this author. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay, because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug, means I've got plenty to eat. I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing, or the windows that need cleaning, or the driveway that needs shoveling. I added that last one, because it means I have a home. Thankful for the never ending pile of laundry because it means my loved ones are close. See, that's the shift I think that Jesus is trying to show to us in this moment of thanksgiving. There's this little tiny meal. It's not gonna possibly satisfy him, let alone satisfy everybody else, and Jesus stops and says, thanks. Thanks for this meal. Thanks for my daily bread. And there might be some who don't feel very compelled to thank God for what they have, right? Some who think, no, 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 no. I have this meal right now because of my work ethic because of all that I have done, because of my intelligence, my ability to make money. This meal is because of me. Need I remind you, as God did in the Old Testament, who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the intelligence that you have? Who gave you the desire to press on and do new things? God, did you see at the end of the day, it's always about God. It's always what he's provided for you, and Jesus knew that, and so he always said, thanks. Thanks for what I have, and thanks that it's always enough. Another cool thing about the meal prayers of Jesus is that they're very specific. He doesn't just throw out there one of those, uh, thanks for everything, God. Thanks for my blessings. Have you ever heard a child pray at a meal? 
Oh, and God, thanks for the chicken, the carrots, the broccoli, that salt shaker, the light bulb, the dog, the tablecloth, my toys, and sister. Amen. Right? Like, wow, that's very specific. What's funny, though, is I think that prayer is actually more in line with Jesus' prayer than some of ours. Jesus gets very, very specific. Jesus says, thank God for the bread by name. And then stop and thank God for the wine by name. And then stop and thank God for the fish by name. Don't just throw out a generic thanks for everything. Have intentionality. Be purposeful. Look for specific blessings and name them by name. It changes everything. So the last couple of weeks, we asked you to do that in the foyer. Here's what some of you are thankful for, specifically by name. What am I most thankful for? The fact that I can still play hockey. Grandkids. I'm thankful for food. Um, I think I'm just most thankful for my family. What I'm most thankful for are my beautiful kids. I'm really thankful for a God who provides. Um, we've been through a rough year or two, and um, he's always been there and always been able to count on him. Probably having my sisters in my life. My six grandchildren and um, my four children and the health of all of them. I am thankful for one last year in high school. I am most thankful for my family and um, our house. Yeah, I got my knees replaced and the pain went away. So that's uh, really, really great. Uh, my mom, she's been there for me for a lot. Family, health. My beautiful wife. Friends, family, the Bible. I'm thankful for my family and everything, except bad. I'm most thankful for my wife and my girls. In the last year, I'm mostly thankful for my family. Moving. Definitely moving. Changed my life. The thing I'm most thankful for is my baby brother. My family and my friends. I became an uncle uh, to a beautiful niece, Zoe. So that is what I'm most thankful for. I am most thankful for my family. I, they're, they're just uh, everything to me. Um, definitely friends and family. To have a roof over our head and food on the table. I'm thankful for my mom. She's a wonderful lady. Uh, I think she's going to apply for sainthood later this year. Hopefully she gets in. Food. Uh, my family and my friends. My friends, they've always been there for me. Without question, the thing I'm most thankful for in the last year is my beautiful wife and my three lovely daughters. I'm very thankful that, uh, that I have my wife here today. Um, she's, she survived a heart attack. That my son graduated high school, that my daughter got a job, that my wife got a job, and we didn't go broke. I am most thankful for music and my family. My friends, my family, um, and Ron Burgundy. Um, I'm definitely most thankful for my family. They've just been there the most for me. I am thankful that I only have three semesters left of school and then I can get out of the restaurant business forever. I'm thankful for an amazing wife. I am thankful for that right there. You see that belly? There you go. My wife, my kids, um, my wonderful grandkids, and I got a new one this year, so I, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Brian, I wasn't sure what you were pointing to at first there, buddy. But isn't it, isn't it amazing? It's a profound experience when you, when you name things by name, when you get really specific as Jesus did, and you thank God for this thing and then for this thing. So God has made promises to us, to you, I hope that you're thankful for those promises like Jesus was. God has provided for you. And again, it might not be as much as you would like or in the ways that you would like, but it's enough for today. And then the final thing that Jesus gives thanks for is found in Matthew 11 and Luke 10. In both of these texts, he says thank you for the same thing and in the same way. Look at this. He says, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. Matthew 11, Luke 10, same exact words, very, very different settings, though. See, in Matthew 11, things aren't going well. John the Baptist has been rejected. Jesus is being rejected. People aren't coming to faith. In fact, in that text, Jesus has very strong words for three cities that refuse to believe. So it, it strikes me as odd that in that setting where there's a lot of failure, Jesus would stop and say, hey, God, thanks. Thanks for all that. Luke 10 makes a lot more sense. See, in Luke 10, it's success. Jesus sent out the 72, and they come back with all kinds of victory stories. God, you wouldn't believe this. Demons came out because of your name. Uh, people came to belief in your name. We healed people because of you. Things are going well. And Jesus is like, guys, I know it's going well, but you've seen nothing yet. And I saw Satan thrown into hell. I'm seeing heaven filled up by the second. Now, that's a moment when we would expect Jesus to say thank you, right? With the victories, with the success. And yet he says thank you in both scenarios, in both settings. The one in Luke seems more fitting. You wouldn't say thank you for Matthew 11, but Jesus did. Why? Well, because when Jesus looks around, he sees God's plan. He's thankful for the promises. He knows God provides, but he also knows that God has a plan. And so when he looks around, he doesn't see what everybody else is doing. He sees what God is doing. See, normally we think it's about our work, the success or failure of our work, the coolness and, and, and ingenuity and creativity of our work. And Jesus says, it's not about your work. It's about God being at work. And I can see it. Even in the bad, I can see that God is at work. That's why you can thank God for Matthew 11. And even when it's going well, I can thank you, God, like Luke 10. Because I don't see the momentary success. I don't see the momentary purpose. I see the ultimate plan. And that's why Jesus could give thanks in both situations. Jesus knew God was involved in creation just as much now as he was at the very beginning. And so even when others couldn't see it, Jesus couldn't, so he stopped and gave thanks. Even when others could see it, Jesus could see more of it, so he stopped and gave thanks. There was always a reason to give thanks, and that's because God had a plan. God was at work. God was up to something. And some of you need to hear that word this morning, right? You're kind of in that Matthew 11 text. It's not going real well. It's more failure than success, and the last thing you want to do is give thanks. But I just wonder, do you see the plan? Do you see the purpose? Let's talk real fast about what this means for us. You see, Jesus thanked God for his unfailing promises, his unending provision, and his unstoppable plan. And I think that us, this group, this community, we have more to be thankful for than most. In fact, those three things describe this church in the last 12 months better than any other words I could think of. It's amazing what Jesus gave thanks for, we need to stop and give thanks for. Individually, but especially as a church, especially as we look back. See, 12 months ago today, Todd Lanting preached his last sermon as the senior pastor at West Bowles Community Church. And as you can imagine, whenever you make a change of that magnitude, there's going to be a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of uncertainty that follows. And not only was that particular moment very difficult, the transition was difficult. And to be honest with you, the few years leading up to that had been difficult. For several different reasons, this church had kind of lost her way. She'd lost her, her focus. As Dave Beatty says, the church lost her mojo. But in the midst of all the problems, there were always these promises the promises of God, the same promises that Jesus gave thanks for, right? The promise that God was our father, that he was listening to us, that he cared about us, that he wanted to hear our cries, the promise that he was sending Jesus to do something amazing, the promise that this fly would die by the name of Jesus. 
There are no promises about flies. I don't know why. I have authority over that fly in Jesus' name. So, okay, so there's these promises, right? And again, Jesus thanked God for his promises. And there was a group of people in this church that, again, amidst all of the problems, just clung to these promises. God ain't done with this church. The Holy Spirit raised the man from the dead. He can raise a church back to life. He gave us a power, not, not, not a spirit of timidity to be weak and to, and to hole up in here and just go down with the ship. No, he gave us a mission, and the gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. Nothing can stop this church. God's not done here. God's not finished with us. This isn't going to be some community center. This is God's church. And he loves it, and he's with it, and he's for it, and he's in it. See, people clung to those promises, didn't they? Even in the midst of all the problems. Despite the trends, despite the lack of fruit, despite some of the angst or fear or frustrations, there was a group of people committed to those promises. And at the top of that list is the current staff. That staff showed up day after day after day, even when they weren't being rewarded for such. Even when things weren't going so well. Even when the fruit of their labor was not very evident, they showed up to minister to you and to your kids and to your kids' kids because they believed in the promise. The promise that God was not done. That he had a plan and a purpose and was up to something. But in addition to the staff, there was this core group of members, many of you in this room. You didn't know how it was going to work out. You just knew that it was going to work out because God was at work. And so you clung to those promises. And I just want to thank you for clinging to those promises, for not giving up. And I want that to be a witness to some of you who are thinking about giving up right now. This church was going down. It was going to die. But people clung to the promises of God and they said, no, it's not. It looks bad. It looks bleak. But God is up to something. So let this be a testimony and a truth for you. No matter how dark it is in your life, it's not over yet. God's up to something. Hold on to the promises. And as the core of this church is clinging to those promises, God did what only God can do, and he just gave them daily bread. He just provided for them day in and day out. Maybe it was a new kid at Awana, come from a non-Christian family. He's memorizing Bible verses on Monday night. That keeps you going for another day, doesn't it? Maybe it was a few more people coming into the foyer every once in a while, just stumbling. I just had to show up to this huge white building. It just looked cool. Maybe it was a church of 500 somehow paying the bills of a church designed for 1,500. Maybe it's a group of elders who said, we will make hard decisions and we will take our checkbook out and back up those decisions if we have to. That's, that's called daily bread. That's called God providing for this church in incredible, miraculous ways. And sometimes it didn't look like it was going to be enough, did it? But yet somehow what they had in that day was enough to get to the next day, which was enough to get to the next day, which is how God designs it. Now, real fast, let me do this. Let me get specific with you for a second, as God did, as Jesus did at his meals. Thanks for the bread, the wine, the fish. Let me thank you for a couple of people uh, in particular. The first is Dave Beatty. Dave Beatty's kind of the executive pastor here. He's been here for 20 years. He has held this thing together. This man loves this church. And you see, Dave Beatty focused on the needs in the community over and against the numbers in the church. And because he did that, he kept this thing afloat. And there's John Burns. He coordinated the efforts of the interim preaching team. Volunteers who would fill this pulpit week in and week out. It's hard enough to fill this thing with paid people, let alone a group of volunteers who were doing everything else throughout the week. And yet he kept their focus on the gospel because he knew when we lift Jesus up, he will draw people to him. And so John Burns, incredible. He headed a search committee. Thank you, John. 
John headed up this search committee. The search committee was, was filled with so many people that sacrificed so much time and so much energy. And it's hard, right? You had to go to work and then come here late at night. Some needed rides, some needed help. And they had to go through a December that was kind of disheartening and then a process the first couple of months of the year that didn't look very good. And then all of a sudden, just started working out. And search committee, well done. Well done. Search committee, yes. Search committee, yes. What in a Good job, search committee. <laughs> Little odd, sorry about that. But that committee was headed up by a man named Brad Brady, one of our elders, many of you know him, and that man has shed more tears, more prayer. So as we look back, we've got, we've got names, right, specific things we could be thankful for, like Dave Beatty. John Burns, Search Committee, Brad Brady, so many other people. Thank you, God, for each one of those people. Thanks for the provision that you gave to us somehow through those people to keep us going each day so we can get to the next day. And what's beautiful about the promises and the daily provision is it's intended to open your eyes to the plan, to reveal to you that there is a plan. The, the reason Jesus could thank God for rejection, for hard times, for being pruned, for going through the desert, walking through the wilderness, for failure, whatever you want to call it, was because he knew God was up to something. It didn't look good, didn't make sense, but he knew God was at work, and the same is definitely true for this church. I call it God in the rearview mirror. See, sometimes it's hard to see God in the windshield, isn't it? You don't know where God is leading you. Where are you taking me? Why are we going so fast or so slow? What's the deal? Sometimes it's hard to see God out the windows. You don't know where you are or why you are where you are. But most of the time, you can see God when you look in the rearview mirror, right? You look up and then you look back. Like, oh, oh, that, that's what you were up to. That's what you were doing. That's what your plan was. And I think that happened here at West Bowles. It didn't make sense. We weren't sure where we were going. We definitely didn't know why we were where we were. And so we had to look back. And now a year later, as we look back, it starts to make sense, doesn't it? We start to see that there was a grand plan in this whole thing. And what I love about the story of West Bowles is that it mirrors my story so perfectly. The last couple of years in my life have been rather difficult. And, and they're first world problems, I get that, but it's still difficult nonetheless. It wasn't finances or family or health or anything like that. It was more of my calling and my, my passion and how I quote unquote defined success. Three years ago, I, I took a job as an associate pastor in a church in Texas. And for reasons I, I haven't quite figured out yet, it turned out to be the worst experience in my entire life. I developed an ulcer, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I was sick, I was depressed, and if you know me, that's not me. And I'm not sure why this happened, but this dream gig turned into be a nightmare. Call it culture shock, call it spiritual warfare, call it fear, call it melting in the 120 degree Texas heat, <laughs> call it whatever you want, but it was, it was bad. About that same time, this church was going through some bad things as well. So I went back to Pepperdine and I struggled for years in that place. I continued to do ministry and God was still so faithful. He, he gave me his promises, but I didn't really believe him. He provided for me every day, but I never really thanked him for it because I lost sight of the plane. See, I thought I'd lost my chance. I thought I missed my moment. I was overcome with fear, anxiety, doubt, disbelief. And although I looked alive on the outside, I was slowly dying on the inside. And then one night, for some odd reason, the Lord put on my heart just to do a Google search. So in Google, I typed lead pastor openings, click. 
And after all the ads, there was these churches listed. And the first church listed, actually, okay, West Bulls was the second. The first church listed was an African-American church in Brooklyn. <laughs> Lord? <laughs> second church listed, West Bowles Community Church. I said, Lord, what, what is this place? So I entered my name and entered the process. And as I did, God kind of reminded me of his promises, his provision, and ultimately of his plan. I think God broke me down so I could help minister to a church that had been broken down. I think I had to walk through the wilderness so I could help other people in a church like this walk through their wilderness. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe you all had to go through what you did for my sake. We needed each other. And God knew that, and so he brought us together. I feel like a high school musical song is appropriate right now, right? Oh, this together. <laughs> but it was part of his plan. It was part of his plan. And I can see it now in the rear view. So don't give up. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, don't give up. There's a plan. Be thankful for it. Even if you can't make sense of it right now, something's going on. Someone's at work. It's gonna work out pretty good. Look at how this plan is working out for us here at West Bowles. What we're thankful for in this church. I am most thankful at West Bowles for the new home builders, parents of teens and young adults class. Really fun. A new minister. The preaching. I'm thank you, thankful for my community and all my friends I have here. And the men that I get time to spend with, um, the peace that they have provided me. A good community to come to every Sunday. The choir. Basically, it's just the community. I love this community. Probably the friendships that I've had that have grown here at the church. Uh, the youth group. Youth group. For the new pastor, for Thomas. Our new pastor. Um, people who support me and talk to me. The community and how it's growing. Now it's hard to find parking and it's great. At West Bulls, I'm most thankful for the wonderful leadership. My youth group. Yep, my youth group. The youth group. The youth group. Thankful that uh, we have Thomas here. Community. At West Bowles, the thing I'm most thankful for is the children's ministry. I'm most thankful for, for the, the youth group here. The youth group. The youth group. And just see everybody excited and, and happy about what's going on here. You know what? I am so thankful for Thomas. God blessed us with a great guy. I am thankful for all the wonderful people at West Bowles. I love you all. A free donut day. And seeing the church back on a good course. Pastor Thomas and Becca Fitzpatrick. I am thankful for the youth group that my children are able to attend. The Mops moms and all the new people that I've met. The college group. Um, they've just been awesome. I'm thankful that we found our new lead pastor. Um, the new pastor, I think. He's been really great. The women that I've met through Woman to Woman. I'm most thankful for the youth group. They're like a family to me. The youth group. This youth group is awesome. I can have like a second family here. I'm thankful for our new pastor Thomas. That our church is going a new direction and it's exciting. God's promised to provide for West Bowles, so, and he has through the years, but I'm thankful for that. Lots to be thankful for. I swear, Nathan and I did not pay everybody off to give the answers that they gave. Only a few. Let me share with you one more thing that we have to be really thankful for. You see, a year ago today, we had several people leaving this church. And 12 months from that day, we have 40 people joining this church. Today, I want to invite those who want to place membership with us to come forward real fast. Uh, and to just kind of be welcomed by us as a community and as a family. I'll also ask the band to come up because we want to praise loud and hard after the fact. So a few weeks ago, we had a new members class here at West Bowles, and we kind of described to people what it meant to be a family member here. Again, West Bowles, we want to be a family. 
You don't want to talk about members and non-members. You're a member at Sam's Club, right, or the gym. You're a family member here. You're part of our family. You're a family member or a friend. And so we explained to people who we were as a family, what our hopes and dreams were as a, fr- a family, how crazy of a family we are. And 40 people said, yeah, we'd love to be a part of that. And so we said, come on. And this morning, I can't wait for you to meet this new group of people, our new family members. We've got folks all the way from Catholic to crazy Pentecostal and everywhere in between. And new family members, you make us better. You make us stronger. You make us more like Christ. And so we are so glad that you are here. Church, I want you to say to this family, I want you to commit to them. I want you to commit to them to share Christ with them. I want you to commit to exemplifying Christ to them. And I want you to commit to praying that Christ will be made known through them. Do you commit to those things? If so, say, we will, church. Okay. And new family members, do you, do you commit to us Do you commit to entering into a covenant relationship with this crazy group of people, a covenant relationship where you will commit to our mission of loving God and loving others, a covenant relationship where you will cling to our core beliefs and live out our core values, a covenant relationship where you promise to be present, active, and fruitful. Do you commit to those things? If so, say, we will. Okay, you may kiss the bride. All right, all right, all right. Here's their names, get to know them. This is our new family, and we are excited to have them as part of this church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, everybody, let's stand up. Folks, you can find your seats again if you would like. We've got a lot to be thankful for. I can't wait on January 4th to tell you what kind of five-year vision God has given to us, our 2020 vision for this church. Man, it's going to include a lot more of these type of days. I know that. But let's just thank God for what's happened, what is happening. We've got enough time to talk about what's going to happen. But let's thank God this morning for all that has happened in this church and in our lives. Let's stand and sing and praise hard.